Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the Onsei Podcast. I'm Matt with Nikkei Rising, and I'll be your host for today's special episode. As the Young Adult Branch of Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages, we'll be bringing you roundtable discussions with young adults involved in and around the Japanese American community to honor our community's history and explore its implications today. Our special episode today is in honor of Day of Remembrance. Every year, on February 19th, the Japanese American community comes together to honor and remember the 120,000 Americans of Japanese ancestry who were unjustly incarcerated by our government during World War II, as well as the thousands of Japanese Canadians and Japanese Latin Americans who were also subject to the incarceration. In going with our special episode theme today, we've decided to bring back a few of our past guests to talk about their experiences, memories, and how they take part in Day of Remembrance. Welcome to the Yonsei Podcast, Day of Remembrance Special. Our first guest on today's special episode for Day of Remembrance is Amy Watanabe, back to join us again a few episodes later after her premiere just earlier this year. Welcome back, Amy. Hi, thanks so much for letting me join again. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Amy Watanabe, and I'm based in Los Angeles, and I'm a Yonsei and granddaughter of former incarcerates. Uh, all of my grandparents were incarcerated at War, Tule Lake, and Minidoka. Well, we're so glad to have you back, Amy, and thank you for the little quick reintroduction for everyone back at home. The question we wanted to ask you today as part of this special episode is, when did you first learn about Day of Remembrance? My first experience with Day of Remembrance was when I was at college at UCLA. Um, like a lot of other campuses, their Nikkei Student Union hosts an annual culture night that was typically um, themed around Day of Rem- Remembrance um, and included you know, a play, taiko, odori, and modern dance to share about the Japanese American experience and the signing of the Executive Order 9066. And for me, I think what was so meaningful was to know that my family's story um, was tied to this larger story. I had grown up knowing about Japanese American history, going to Jana Museum, um, but just seeing it in a play format and, you know, seeing the common themes, yet the nuances just gave me this really deeper sense of what truly happened to my family um, and, and our community. And that it just wasn't this you know, random story or incident that happened, but the damage it caused in the moment and, you know, the aftershocks or I guess the ripple effects that occur even to this day, you know, as we talk about like intergenerational trauma. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love that you actually bring up NSU because I think for us, now that it's been a few years later, we've sort of separated DOR and Culture Night's shows, but at the same time, they still bring those same stories and those same emotions and same feelings together. And I think that's extremely wonderful. And they're both very, very powerful events that I think we love to put on in NSU. So I totally resonate with all that. Yeah. And then, you know, since then, um, now attending LA DORs and, you know, just kind of seeing the solidarity of our community, like you're mentioning, just like bringing those stories to life, um, but kind of the relevance that it is today and, and, and making sure that, you know, we're, we're telling a story so that it's not repeated again, but it also just helps us to like kind of have that moment to reflect and think about like how similar actions and, you know, hateful rhetoric and, and everything that we're seeing more in recent um, current history, you know, what it's doing to communities today. I definitely agree with that. And I'm very interested to see what will happen with DOR this year, because I think it'll be a very 
interesting and moving piece tying in all that's happened this past year with not only the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, making us go online, but also the Black Lives Matter movement and the uptick in anti-Asian racism and one of the more ongoing themes recently, which has been the separation of families and their and children at the border. So I can't wait to see what DOR brings in store for us this year. But thank you again so much, Amy, for joining us for this special episode. Our next guest joining us from season one, episode two, Only What You Could Carry, is Nina Nakao. Welcome, Nina. Hi, um, my name is Nina Nakao. I'm a multiracial fiance, um, and I live and work in the Japanese American community in Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in California in the Bay Area, but my family all has roots in Hawaii, so I didn't have family in camp. Well, thank you for joining us, Nina. And the question we wanted to ask you today for our special DOR episode is, why is DOR important for not only the JA community, but for all communities? Yeah, thank you. I, When I think about the Day of Remembrance, I think that it's a really special opportunity to acknowledge the gravity of what happened in the 1940s um, to the Japanese American community, but and not only what happened, but why it happened. And I think that DOR gives us a really important opportunity to learn and teach about about the history and to interpret the history in our own voices. And I think it's also an opportunity to honor stories that we don't hear that often, stories of regular people who aren't the famous names that we hear over and over, and for us to teach about why this history is so important, why it can never happen again, and kind of empower youth to understand the significance of learning history, of telling stories, of understanding their family history and the history of the land that we live on. I also think that the Day of Remembrance kind of gives us this opportunity to have these like yearly traditions that kind of have a formality Mm -hmm. to them. I spend like 300 days a year teaching about Japanese American history in my (laughs) job in the education department at Janum. Mm. And I think that DOR is like kind of adds this like specialness and this significance where we can all take a moment to like think about like when, when you're in it every day, it just becomes like part of like how you're thinking about the world. But when you take a day to like look, like step back and think about like the severity of the injustices and the unconstitutionality of the wartime incarceration in the concentration camps, mm-hmm. then it then it gives you like a moment of like reflection and pause. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think for myself, having studied Japanese and Japanese American history in college and now working with JCL, and I think a lot of us being so surrounded by the community for much of our lives, at least later, more and more recently in our lives, and obviously into our working careers, I think we do sort of it sort of becomes an everyday thing for us. And, and it is interesting to see on DOR when there are people who don't surround themselves with these stories and don't surround themselves as much as we do with it, um, or if people from outside the community for them getting to see it for the first time, how important and special and meaningful it is to them. And also, again, it reminds ourselves of how important meaning and meaningful uh, this day and this, these stories are to us. So I totally agree with that. Before we end up your segment, uh, I did want to ask if there's anything else you wanted to mention about DOR. I think that I've always had such like a non-pandemic framework for what DOR is that I think as everything continues to shift, like when we think about DOR, we think about 
how a lot of our community elders are aging or passing away from people who experienced camp. That's that first person story is disappearing. And so like we've been like racing against the time to like capture people's stories in person and like be with them and gather. And then now that we can't do that anymore, I think it'll present a new challenge, but also like a new format for reaching people and for like making an impact. Yeah, for sure. This year has obviously brought about a very interesting and new set of challenges, but I think it's also opened a lot of opportunities and a lot of doors for us to continue new work and new new ways to work in the community and in solidarity with others in the future. So again, I want to thank you so much for joining us for this special episode, Nina. Yeah, thank you so much. Our next guest, again, joining us from season one, episode six, a bus ticket and $25 about Nikkei resettlement is Rob Busher. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. If you don't mind, can you give everyone a quick reintroduction of yourself? I am a mixed race Yonsei. My great grandparents immigrated in the 1920s from Japan and were part of the voluntary evacuation in the weeks before the evacuation orders were finalized. So no one in my immediate family went to camp. But we do have relatives by marriage and some distant cousins and uncles who were incarcerated during World War II. Yeah, which I think is a really interesting history that some people forget about. But thanks so much for being here. So what we wanted to ask you today was, what has been your favorite DOR event that you've attended? Why? And what was it like? So the DOR, to me, has always been an interesting event because I think for people who have family members that were incarcerated. It, it's certainly a time when it's a very personal remembrance. Because my family wasn't incarcerated, or at least my Obachan and her siblings avoided that indignity in the war. Mm. For me, it's been more of a question of, you know, how does the community come together and uh, make sense of these, you know, horrible historic injustices but also with an eye towards the future and specifically focusing the advocacy goals of the JACL. For a number of years, the Philadelphia JACL has been using the DOR as an opportunity to jointly remember the incarceration and certainly including the testimony of, of the elders in our community who are incarceration survivors themselves but we also try to use it as a platform to invite other communities of color, other marginalized communities to sort of join with us and have conversations about things like joint advocacy. And in particular, the last DOR that we hosted in February 2020 was really significant, I think, for a number of reasons. First, obviously, we went into the COVID quarantine shortly after that event happened. So it was the last time that our local community was able to gather in person for an event. And I think it holds a lot of significance for that reason, particularly because a number of our members are elderly. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have been lucky to be largely unscathed by the pandemic, but we have lost a, a few key uh, leaders and members who've been part of this chapter for decades and, you know, I think the other part then is that we were able to really invite in the conversation that has been dominating a lot of Japanese American advocacy spaces over the past couple of years, which is the immigrant detention movement, mm -hmm. specifically family detention. The Philadelphia JACL has been involved in the Shutdown Burks Coalition, 
trying to end detention of migrant families just outside of Philadelphia. And we used the DOR as an opportunity to kind of discuss how we as Japanese Americans can use the historical narrative of the incarceration and the intergenerational trauma in particular that we know has plagued many generations, including our own Yonsei generation, mm-hmm. uh, to have a stronger advocacy uh, and using that narrative, both from a personal narrative and a historical narrative, to strengthen the arguments to shut down the current immigrant detention centers. So we, we did that by hosting a panel that featured Karen Korematsu, as well as a couple of the local advocates within the Shutdown Burks Coalition. And, you know, really kind of focused on these key issues about how it is that we can use these historic traumas actually to our advantage in the, the context of contemporary advocacy. So I think, you know, for me, that helped to drive the engagement that the JACL Philadelphia chapter has had throughout the last year, really, in, in the entirety of the pandemic. Although our chapter has been unable to gather in person, we continue to host virtual events. And throughout the spring and summer of 2020, we were highly engaged in the Tsuru for Solidarity campaign on the national level and then certainly here on the local level as we staged some virtual protests as well as direct actions at the Burke's Detention Center. So in my mind, it all stems from the DOR. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why that is my favorite. Yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, obviously, being with JCL National, I got to be sort of on the behind the scenes and, and watch what the Philly chapter has done and see all that they've done with Sudo and with the Shutdown Burks Coalition. And I do think it's it's amazing that we're able to use DOR not only as a time of remembrance, but as a time to use our stories and take action for the future and to make change and not only just say that this happened, but that we can take that story and, and take those emotions and, and the memories and do something with them and help others with them. So again, thank you so much for uh, hopping on again with us today. I wanted to give you a chance if there's any little last thoughts or anything else you wanted to share about Day of Remembrance really quick with everyone. You know, I think the only other thing that I'll add is that as we enter year two of the pandemic, it's more important now than ever that we find ways to build and maintain community virtually. So even though we can't meet in person for the 2021 DOR, I certainly hope that everyone listening does their best to attend at least one of the virtual events that are being held around the country. Yeah, and I totally agree. I can't wait to see what everyone does and how everyone gets online. So again, thanks so much, Rob, for stopping by and helping us with this special episode. Yeah, no problem. Take care, Matt. So up next for our guests, straight off the heels of last episode, actually, we have the wonderful and very talented Derek Mio back with us again. So welcome again, Derek. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So if you want to just to remind everyone, I hope everyone will remember from the last episode, but if you want to just go ahead and give everyone a little brief introduction again of yourself. Uh, sure. My name is Derek Mio. I'm an actor. I uh, was in the AMC series, The Terror Infamy. And I am a Yonsei, fourth generation, and I grew up in Huntington Beach, and it's a pleasure to be with you today again. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here again. But So our question that we wanted to ask you for DOR this time is, has your understanding of what remembrance looks like changed as you've gotten older, and how and why? Sure. I think our understanding of pretty much everything 
is constantly changing and evolving at uh, different stages of our life. So, you know, specifically talking about remembrance or the the internment of Japanese Americans, you know, it was kind of this obscure thing when I was much younger because it wasn't really taught in our schools. My family was in Manzanar, so at, at some point, you know, it was uh, brought up brought to my attention. And, you know, I had, I guess you can call the good fortune of being an actor and being cast in a, a film. The very first film I acted in took place in the internment camp. So I was kind of forced to ask questions and, you know, kind of learn what I could about this. And that's when I remember for the first time, my family kind of sort of, you know, opening up about the fact that, you know, our family had been in an internment camp. And, and as a family, you know, we, we go up to Mammoth almost every year to go fishing and we always stop off at Manzanar and it's kind of like a little pilgrimage for us. We look for our family's name on the, you know, the display. And, you know, when you're much younger, you're not so much concerned about these things, these larger kind of issues, right? These institutional problems that our country has. And so... You know, as you get older, these things kind of affect you a little bit more. You're more aware of them. And I think we were all very much aware of, you know, these kind of institutional problems that we have in our country still last year during the George Floyd protests. And so, you know, when you're younger, you kind of think about these things that happened, whether they were the, you know, going on in, during the civil rights in the 60s or even World War II, and you think, you know, that was so long ago, that was lifetimes ago. And then as you get older, you realize that was only one generation back. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago at all. And we continue to make the same mistakes, kicking the can down the road and, and passing it on to our generations. And it's just a problem because we don't really, as a country, um, confront and acknowledge the failures that we've made so that we can, you know, adjust and progress. Uh, we just seem to keep making the same kind of errors of, you know, placing judgment on others and, and you know, xenophobia and racism and, and everything else. And so these things are kind of cyclical. And, and unless we, you know, really confront these, these, these big issues, we're just going to continue to keep making them same mistakes. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. And I think a lot of what Day of Remembrance has obviously turned into in recent years obviously echoes a lot of that. And I think especially this year, Day of Remembrances across the country will be very, very cognizant of what has been happening the last couple of years, and especially what has happened this past year and is still ongoing, not only with, with the aftermath of, of what's happened with the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer, but also, of course, as we continue with the COVID-19 pandemic and with the change in the administration these past few weeks and the changes that we're going to see, whether they are good or bad, will be seen. But hopefully it will be sort of a time of, of remembrance, of remembering our past and also looking forward to the future and hopefully making that change. Thank you so much again for joining us for this special episode. Is there anything else you want to say about Day of Remembrance or Remembrance or about your own family's time in camp? You know, our older generations that had to go through the camps, it was a very traumatic and, you know, I'm sure shameful and painful period of their lives so it's it's really hard to revisit but I think it's really important and this includes the the great work that you guys are doing and 
in shedding light on these injustices and, you know, shining a spotlight on these horrific periods that we've had to go through in our country and not just shove them under the rug because, like I said, we're just going to continue to keep keep making the same mistakes. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that, and I think it starts in the home. I think it starts in the family. I think it starts with, you know, educating, you know, our, our, our children. And so I'm, I'm just really, I just really commend you guys for creating this platform to, to keep this message going and to, you know, we, we, we need to get loud, you know, every year, uh, especially on, on Day of Remembrance and make sure that, that every generation is, is aware of these atrocities so that we don't repeat them in the future. I wholeheartedly agree. And I want to say thank you again so much for taking time of your busy schedule to join us again today so soon after your last episode. But thank you again so much for joining us. Our final guest for today's special episode, joining us back from Season 1, Episode 3, An American Nightmare, is Lauren Matsumoto. Welcome back, Lauren. Hi, it's nice to be back. If you don't mind, can you give the audience a quick reminder about yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Lauren Matsumoto. I am a fourth-generation Japanese-American Yonsei and a third, fourth-generation Chinese-American. Uh, I was born and raised in San Diego, but currently live in San Francisco. During my college days, I was pretty active in Nikkei Student Union as well as Manzanar Dust. Awesome. Well, thank you for, com- for coming back for this special episode. Yeah, I'm super excited. So the question we a- wanted to ask you today is, what does Day of Remembrance mean to you? So for me, I didn't find out about Day of Remembrance until I was in college so college was definitely a time when I was able to like fully immerse myself within the Japanese American community and the culture. I mean, growing up, I was very fortunate that my family did want to foster and to teach me about my heritage. And I was very blessed that my grandpa was willing to talk about his experience within the concentration camp. But I didn't find out about that there was a specific date and a specific event that actually focuses on talking about it. So I think it's so meaningful for me that there is a dedicated time and space within the community that we can actually talk about it as well as, you know, educate the public and let others know about our history. I think it's one thing, it's very important that we continue to have these conversations within the community, but it starts to becoming an echo chamber because we all know what it's about. And I think it's just as important to let others know in order to not have this kind of history repeat itself. And so what it means to me is to be together again with the community, but as well open the space up to others that don't know about our history. So I was very fortunate when I was in Nikkei Student Union to be the cultural chair my sophomore year, but I was very involved with Day of Remembrance all four years And it was, for me, really amazing as well. It's very special because I got to see the event grow within UCSD specifically and seeing this event being not only just for NSU and we always invite JCL, but to see within my year and the years afterwards to expand it to 
the Muslim community to talk about the parallels of what they're currently experiencing with how it relates so much to what our community experienced in the 1940s and and earlier. Because let's not forget that the Japanese American and the Japanese community was experiencing a lot of bigotry and racism way before they were put into the camps. So it's been pretty amazing to see, for me, the event grow at UCSD and having, you know, other college students be actually interested and willing to learn about our history. So I think for me, it's both a time that I can talk about my history without it being random, because, you know, you and I talk about what camp means to us a lot randomly, but Mm. there's actually a specific time that's a little bit more okay, I guess, or like doesn't seem random to talk about, but as well as having the space to share it with others that don't have that kind of family history and for them to learn, I think it's pretty amazing. So that's what it means to me. Yeah, and of course... Obviously, you know, I echo all of that sentiment because we talk about it so much. And I think it was amazing getting to go through the experience of going to school in California and, and being part of Nikkei Student Union for both of us and sort of see not only what, what the club was like, but what obviously what that day meant for us as a group and then mm-hmm. getting to involve the community around that. And I think it was it's a little more special for you because you guys got to put on the event and host the event. And I actually mm-hmm. know y'all are doing it again because I was talking to Carol Kawamoto and she's going to be speaking at this year's. UCSD one, but I think yeah, for USC, it, mm-hmm. for USC at least, um, since we were in LA, we always planned it around the LA one, so we didn't get to host one on campus and sort of try and invite people. But I, mm-hmm. I do appreciate that during DOR, especially like junior senior year, I remember the school newspaper, Daily Trojan, and like some of the other news outlets on campus, like the podcast and some of the business school newspapers, like they came to Nikkei and they came to to talk to us about what DOR was and what it meant to us. And I think mm-hmm. I remember senior year, I almost sort of forgot that it was it was DOR. I just, I was so busy with work and class that I kind of forgot. And I actually happened to just be wearing my 442 sweatshirt that day. But, <laughs> but I got like three or four emails and calls being like, hey, can you do a quick interview today for DOR? And I ended up spending a few hours I, that I hadn't planned doing interviews for and, and sort of remembering, oh yeah, that is today. And oh yes, it is important. Mm-hmm. It was it was great to see how other people got involved. And I think that is definitely why DOR is so important. Yeah, you mentioned it, that UCSD um, is having a virtual day remembrance. And I'm very proud to see them to continue this tradition. It's one of our larger cultural events besides Manstar Pilgrimage. And I think that's another thing, too. Like, we all know about Manstar Pilgrimage because a huge, like, physical event that we tracked somewhere but I think day of remembrance is just as important and so it was pretty amazing because I already knew about Manslaughter Pilgrimage before going to college Mm. because I went with my dad but day of remembrance was pretty amazing actually my freshman year was the first time I actually participated at the time our cultural chair was like do you want to be involved in it and so it was like my first time experiencing like as an adult organizing a cultural event and getting involved with JCL. And that year we featured a film about one of the Latin American um, teenage student that decided to go into the camps with his high school friends. 
And these are some also like stories you never hear about. So mm-hmm. Day Remembrance is also a time period to feature films of stories that are not like the normal stories, like because everyone's story is very unique, but there is sometimes a general story that we and general narrative that we hear about the camps and to mm-hmm. be able to feature those that were kind of different than we normally hear. I think also if we think about it's on February 19th, it's the actual day that Executive Order 9066 was mm. signed. It's a very heavy and sad time to think about it. But we're turning that date and we're, you know, we are using our own power to think about. We're not going to think about it in such a negative light. We're going to turn it into a strong and powerful moment. We're taking ownership of this date and saying that, hey, we remember what happened on this date, but you know what we're going to do with it? We're going to remind our community. We're going to remind other communities as well as the world that this happened to us. Acknowledge that this happened to us, but we're going to try to not let this happen to other communities because we know how it feels like. And this is something that we don't want to be seeing repeating itself. Definitely. And I think that has been an overarching theme of at least the of a good number of DORs over the, the past mm-hmm. decades, and especially recently. Obviously, with all that's been happening this last year, I honestly cannot wait to see what DOR is like this year and and the solidarity and community building that we do, even though it's virtual this year, but getting to see what's going to happen. So I think with that, that brings that's us to this end. special episode. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We want to thank all of our wonderful guests again for their time today and for coming back to join us for this special episode. And a huge thank you to all of those guests who have joined us on previous episodes. This podcast was inspired by the theme of remembrance for those who came before us and using our stories for change and a better tomorrow. We couldn't have done any of that without all of you and all of you listeners out there. Now, before we end, we want to honor all of our families one more time by doing a roll call of the camps. Wherever you may be, Please join us in a moment of silence and reflection as we name each of the main WRA incarceration sites. Manzanar and Tule Lake, California. Minidoka, Idaho. Gila River and Poston, Arizona. Heart Mountain, Wyoming. Topaz, Utah. Granada, Amachi, Colorado. Rower and Jerome, Arkansas. And to all those in isolation centers, Department of Justice, and U.S. Army camps, and those incarcerated elsewhere. Please be sure to join us for our next episode coming out next month. And don't forget to follow at Rising on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for release dates, episode titles, descriptions, and guests, as well as updates on other Nikkei Rising programs. To listen to all of Season 1 and the rest of Season 2, you can find the Yonsei Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages website, jampilgrimages.com. The Yonsei Podcast is made by Hito Adeza, Michelle Heckert, Yoko Fedorenko, Johnny Narita, and Matthew Wisebly with theme music by Michelle Heckert. This episode is edited by Matthew Wisebly, and now we are sponsored by the Minidoka Pilgrimage Planning Committee. This has been the Yonsei Podcast, and it's been Yonsei.